Matthew chapter 7, as we are closing in on the very, very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this long section of teaching that Jesus has been giving to uh, the crowd and specifically to his followers. And what we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, is Jesus' further application of his message. Chapters 5 through 6, Jesus has laid out for us the character of a Christian, the character of what he would call a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in chapters 5 and 6, Jesus goes so far as to begin to show how a Christian lives out that character in everyday life. How does a Christian respond when it comes to anger, retaliation, prayer, fasting, divorce, all these things that are a part of what it means to live in this world. And so Jesus was teaching and has been teaching on the character of a Christian and the lifestyle of one who is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then in chapter 7, Jesus transitions to conclude his sermon by focusing on judgment and the fact that one day we would stand before God. And so the response to what he's taught uh, was just as important as the text of the sermon itself. And as he's been going through chapter 7, as we have been going through chapter 7, Jesus has been laying out for us two options. So basically Jesus says there's not a million different ways to respond, there's really only two. And he's been showing that through the discussion of the, the two gates and the two paths, the two trees and their types of fruit, the two claims, those who say they claim to know Jesus and those whom Jesus says he doesn't know. And now we come to maybe what you might recognize the most, which is the parable or the choice between the man who builds his house on the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. And what Jesus is ultimately doing for us this morning is highlighting once again the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. And what that means. So let me ask everyone in the room this morning, who here is wise? Really, not one of you is going to go that route, huh? Who here is a fool? Some of you are cheaters. You can't sit there and do nothing. The whole point of Jesus' sermon is you're one or the other. And if you're trying to sit in the middle, you've already blown it. So let me help you out. You should want to be wise. Right? That should be what you want. Does anybody here just really want to be a fool? Some of you need to raise your hand, but I'm not going to say who. But you shouldn't. You shouldn't want to be a fool. You should want to be wise. Can I help you out? Jesus says you can know if you're wise. So you wouldn't have to go, uh, uh. But you might actually, when I say who here is wise, you might go, whoop, that's me, and not be ashamed of it. And also I think what Jesus wants to do is to confront us with the fact that we may need to go, who's a fool? And to realize that that's not as a Christian who God has called us to be. You with me? Let me help you. This morning, you can only either be wise or a fool. There is no other option. My hope by the time we're done with this sermon is that when I ask that question later, I'm not going to ask that again. But if I were to ask that question again, you would immediately put a hand up for one of those two. And if you raise your hand that you are living wisely, then yes, I would celebrate that and we give God glory for that. If you would still at the end of this sermon go, oh, I'm a fool, then you would respond by trusting in Jesus and seeing how good he is. Does that make sense? 
But everyone, some of you are like, oh, this is not going to go well. This morning, you're either wise or you're a fool. Now, the question is, by whose standard are we using? Because some of you, while you didn't raise your hand deep in your heart, you're like, I can tell you who a fool is. <laughs> right? Some of, for a lot of times, the problem we run into is we think we are wise and everyone else is a fool. And we base that not off God's standard, but off our own. That if you agree with me, you're wise. If you don't agree with me, you're a fool. Here's the problem. God's standard is different than yours and mine. So we shouldn't be asking the question, are you wise or foolish based off what you think wise and foolish means. We should base it off what Jesus says. So this morning, welcome to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. We're about to ask the, ourselves the question, are we wise or are we a fool? Because here's the problem. We live in a world that is filled with all kinds of standards about what is really true and what isn't. And so trying to figure out well, we, how we match ourselves up and how do we weigh out whether we're wise or foolish, there's so many different options to choose from. And here's what we know. They can't all be true. Someone's got to be lying. Someone's got to be wrong. And in a world filled with different types of truth and different belief systems and worldviews, somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. That's just the way it is. So here's the problem. How do we know whether we are right? How we're living wisely or not or with, if we're a fool? And why does Jesus say his words are the standard to be used? Well, I'm glad you asked that because this morning he gives you those two paths. There's only two and you belong to one or the other. So here's what I want to teach you this morning. Number one, the wise person, this is according to Jesus, not me. The wise person is the one who does what Jesus says. So if you're taking notes, and you should because you won't remember any of this, the first point I want you to get is the wise person does what Jesus says. That's the standard. You with me so far? This means yes. This means can we go now? If you do this, we go faster. Right? So thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. He's back there. You're going to give yourself a concussion. The wise person does what Jesus says. That's what he says in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus says you will be wise. You're considered a wise man according to his standard if you hear his words and what? Do them. If you do what Jesus says, this is the mark of one who lives in the kingdom of God. This is what a character of a Christian looks like. The wise person does what Jesus says. So here's what we're immediately confronted with. Listening to Jesus is not enough. Did y'all catch that? He doesn't say the person who listens to him is wise. He says the person who hears his words and does them is wise. Uh-oh. So that means simply filling your head with biblical knowledge is not the same as being saved. Even if you can quote a thousand verses off the top of your head, it does not necessitate that means you're saved. Because it's not just the person who knows what Jesus says. It's the one who does what Jesus has said. So the wise person, let me, let me go even further. It's not enough to simply agree with Jesus on what he says. 
Even if you read chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Jesus' sermon and you go amen to all of them. I believe that. That's absolutely. That's still not the same as being saved. There are a lot of people who agree with what Jesus said but don't love him as Savior. Don't believe he's necessarily the rescuer of their souls. You see what I'm getting at? This hurts from people who spend all their time in church. Because basically what I'm telling you is simply listening to what I'm saying is not enough. Simply reading the Bible is not enough. It's the one who hears and then what? Does it. Which means there's some kind of change in you that makes you not just want to hear, but to actually be obedient to what Jesus said. Now that's when it gets tough. Okay, Jesus, I agree with you on most of it. But doing it, that's where the fruit is. That's the evidence of someone who has a changed heart or doesn't. Is the one who not only hears, but does them. And then Jesus says, the person who hears what he says, which by the way, in this context, is pretty much the Sermon on the Mount, what he's been teaching them. If you hear what I say and do or obey what I'm telling you, he says, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Why is it a wise thing to build your house on the rock? Because of what comes next. What happens to the house on the rock? Glad you asked. Jesus says in verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. So the reason why it's so important to build the house on the rock is because the winds are coming, the floods are coming, it's going to beat on the house, and if it's on the rock, guess what it's going to do? It's going to stand. It's not going to fall. That's the kind of person who hears what Jesus says and does it. When the winds and the floods and the storms come, the person who has built their house on the rock will stand. You with me so far? Jesus is using metaphors because he knows we're not the brightest. And we need pictures. To, well, I'm not. You may be completely perfect, but I need pictures to help me understand this. Do you understand? So the wise man is the one who builds his house on the rock because the rain's going to come, the flood's going to come, but it's not going to fall because it stands. It was founded upon the rock. So that's the wise person who doesn't just agree with what Jesus says, doesn't just affirm what Jesus teaches, but actually lives it out in obedience to him. And by the way, what audacity from Jesus that he would show up on the scene and go, you know what truth is? Whatever I say. Woo! That's tough. When Jesus shows up and says, you know what? The truth is whatever I say it is. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, and he, every word he says is God's word. See what I'm getting at? But what boldness to stand in front of a group of people and go, you know what's true? What I tell you is true. Ooh, doggy. He's not, Jesus isn't giving you the option of, well, he's a good teacher along with others. He's telling you he's different. Jesus is different. And Jesus doesn't just say that some of his teaching is truth, but all of his teaching is truth. So what that means is you and I can't take some of what Jesus teaches and do it and leave out the rest or ignore what we don't like. Jesus holds his own words as equal to the scriptures that the Hebrew scriptures that they had. As the very word of God, Jesus says, "When I speak, it is the same." 
And so simply agreeing with Jesus isn't enough. We can't change what Jesus said. That's not enough. We can't ignore what we don't like about what Jesus teaches. The wise person is the one who hears all that Jesus teaches and is obedient to all of it. Which, by the way, that gets scary, right? Because if you look at our lives, they're like, uh, well, I'm not doing great. Right? This is where God's word begins to cut us a little. But he tells us here. That the one who builds his house on the rock, he is the one whose house will stand. Now, it's interesting because Matthew's not the only one who records this kind of discussion. In Luke chapter 6, Luke does the same thing. He shares the same story. And he says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the, st- the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So he just defines there in what we have in Matthew, what does it mean to found your house on the rock? To have your house founded on the rock? To dig deep to the solid part. That's what it means to build your house, to have your house built on the rock is that it's deep, solid. Just so you know, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. That's not, that's not the easy path. That's hard to do. But it's what makes, that's the difference between a wise person and a fool. Now here's what we can find out. The next thing we see in verse 26 is going to tell us something. Because in verse 26, we start to see what could be kind of confusing. Because the first two verses have told us that the wise person does what Jesus says. But then he gives you the second part of it. Number two, the foolish person disobeys what Jesus says. So the wise person obeys what Jesus says. The foolish person disobeys what Jesus says. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against this house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So notice the description of the second man, second person, is pretty similar to the description of the first one. One was wise, one was foolish, but they both did what? Both built houses. Guess what they both had? Storms that came and raged against it. One stood and one fell. So if you look at it, in in the stories that he's sharing with us, if you were to look at the two houses, they look identical. You look at the house of the foolish man, it looks the same as the house as the wise man. Hasn't Jesus been saying that you got to beware of appearances, that sometimes things can look one way but are actually not? So in the parable he gives you, closing up this sermon, is be careful because both houses look the same, both experience storms, but there's a major difference, and it's almost imperceptible. The only way you know the difference between these two is what lies underneath the surface. Oh, uh uh-oh. Now listen, this wouldn't be such a terrifying story if God couldn't see our hearts. Because what God is saying here is it's not so much what the house looks like above the ground. It's what lies underneath it. And just so you know, we can dress it up real nice. Our house can look exactly like our neighbor's house. But it doesn't mean that we're on the same path they are. And it doesn't mean that we are necessarily Christians. 
You can have the house look like a Christian house. The words coming out of the house can look like Christian words. But the difference between a true follower of Jesus and one who hears, depart from me, I never knew you, is what's the house sitting on. You see what he's getting at? Some of us may be sitting in our houses. I, I think the house is kind of a, a metaphor for the life we live, what we pursue, what we do. And for some of us, our house looks in order. It looks Christian. It looks right. But if you go underneath it and you look at the foundation of it, it's not resting on what Jesus said in doing it. It's resting on what I think and what I do. You see what I'm getting at? There's only two choices, folks. There's only two foundations. There's only two ways this, this can go. And the difference between those foundations is the difference between life and death. Isn't that what Jesus has been talking about all along? There's only two paths to be on. One leads to destruction. The other one leads to life, right? Here is another picture of it. And here's what I believe he's telling us. What are you basing your life on? You can be doing the right things. Your house could look right, but why are you doing it? What, what it sits on matters just as much as what the house looks like. And what Jesus is telling us is there's two types of people. Those who live based on what they think, their own wisdom, and those who live based off what Jesus has said and obeying what he has said. See what I'm getting at? That's the hard part that we have to come to grips with. Which one are we? And just so you know, we're good at deceiving ourselves. I can, without you in my life, I can convince myself I'm perfectly fine. Everything's good. Even though I may take God's word and twist it to my benefit or leave parts out that I'm not as comfortable with, right? Even though, if left to ourselves, we can deceive ourselves very quickly into thinking everything's good. It looks right, it sounds right, it must be right. But Jesus says, you'll know who's wise and you'll know who's a fool. How? What are they building off? What is, what is their house built on? On his teaching and obedience to it or rejecting what he has said? Look, even if you agree with him, we reject it by the way we live if we don't live in obedience to him. You can agree but not, and just so you know, the way you live that's really what you agree with. The way I live, that's really what I'm agreeing with, right? I can say all I want with my mouth what I think, but it's the way I live that shows whether I believe that or not. You see what I'm getting at? So as Christians, we ought to be very careful about saying we love Jesus and we want to follow him, but then when we get into regular life, guess what we do? We don't give much of a rip about what Jesus said or what he thinks or what he calls us to do. All of a sudden now, it's what Jason wants to do. It's what Jason thinks is right. And just so you know, that is a road that leads to death. And just, you can take Jason out of that and put your own name in. Don't think it's just because of what I say. You do the same thing. We can very easily fall into that. So what is Jesus doing? He's warning us. Be careful. Be careful that you're not just trying to sound right and look right. The question Jesus has is, are you wise or are you a fool? And the difference between those two is the wise man hears what Jesus says and does it. And does it because we love Jesus, not so we can get something out of him. Oh, my, my, oh, y'all talk about your toes. This is hurting. 
This is hurting me this morning. Because how many times do I live life going, man, if I do the right thing, people will go, yeah, Jason, you're so great. You're so And all of a sudden, it's not because I'm devoted to Jesus. It's not because I love him supremely. It's because I want you all to applaud me when I do stuff. And I'm not the only one in the room does that. I just do that here. You do it in your places. What Jesus is calling us to is be honest. Do you love Jesus supremely? Are you devoted to not only what he said, but obeying what he said? Do you do what you do because you're just so in love with Christ that you want to make him known and you want to honor him in your life? Or are you trying to look that way? But deep down, it's all about your wisdom, what you think is right, and building your house on your terms. Oh, folks, this hurts. This hurts because this means that to truly be a wise person, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a a citizen of the kingdom of God, these are the evidences we're to give. This is the fruit we're supposed to display. Now, don't hear me wrong. It does not mean that if you do what Jesus says, that automatically makes you a Christian. That's works-based salvation. That's not how it operates. He's not saying do good things so that you can be rescued. What he's telling you is this is what someone who has been rescued does. The person who does trust in Jesus, guess what Jesus expects? That you will love him enough and devote yourself to him that you'll do whatever he tells you, even if it goes against what you think. That's tough. That's a hard life to live. It's tough to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, but Jesus is asking for nothing less from all of us. Nothing less. Whether you have spent 80 years in church or whether this is your first time stepping foot in one. Jesus calls us to the same thing. Trust in him and his wisdom and do what he says because you love him and you adore him. That's what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. Not one who's trying to manipulate God or look the part, but is a, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. But instead, one who is fully devoted and loves Jesus. This is hard teaching, and Jesus is confronting us because he wants us to see this before we step foot in front of him. Before the day comes when we can no longer choose anymore. Before the day comes when there's no other second chances, Jesus wants us to understand, do we love him and honor him in our lives or do we rely on ourselves? And so let me ask the question, why would you believe and why should you listen to what Jesus says and do what he says? Why is he any different than anyone else? Glad you asked. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the true one. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus can be believed and trusted, and you should devote yourself to him because he tells us he is the truth. We can't trust ourselves. We're easily deceived. He's also steadfast. God doesn't change. What's true in the past is still true today. It does not fluctuate constantly. What seems right today in our culture, what seems right today will be wrong tomorrow. What's wrong today will be right tomorrow. That's not the way it is with God. 
We may be tossed about, but he isn't. He's steadfast. He's unchanging. His truth is constant. He's also supreme. There's no one greater than him. There's no greater truth than him because there is no one more supreme than him. You can also trust him because he's power. He's all-powerful. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. You can trust Jesus because he's good. Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love on all who call upon you. God is good and his truth is good. You can trust Jesus because he's living. God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. There will never be a time when God isn't. And because he's living, so is his word, his truth. His word never expires. It never passes away. It never ceases. 1 Peter 1, 23 and 24, the word of the Lord remains forever. His truth isn't outdated or irrelevant. Thus, we trust in Jesus and the only way we can do what he says is if we have new hearts that have been changed to love him. We will never do this on our own. We'll never wake up one day and go, you know what, I think I'll do what Jesus said today. The only way we will truly listen to what Jesus said and obey him is if we have been changed. If we've been given new hearts that no longer love ourselves supremely, but love Jesus more than anything. That heart of devotion is necessary as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you this. Every text that we study, every passage we look at, we have to recognize what Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's meant to cut. It's meant to pierce our hearts. So let me ask you, from these verses we looked at this morning, what does God intend to cut out of our hearts? Like a surgeon who is skilled at taking his word and cutting out that which doesn't honor him. Let me ask you this morning, how does this text cut you? Well, here's how it cuts me. It points out to me that I am not self-sufficient. I can't meet all of my needs. I can't do it on my own. My wisdom doesn't suffice to bring me life. No matter how wise I think I am, my wisdom leads to death and destruction. God's wisdom leads to life everlasting. And so this text cuts me because it tells me, Jason, it's not about your opinions. It's not about your experiences. It's about what Jesus has said. Do you believe it and do you do it? And I say it's the same thing for every one of us in this room. If you are a believer in Jesus, you need to ask yourself, are there times that I'm falling back, not on what Jesus has said and do it, but am I falling back on my own thoughts and my own opinions and my own experiences? Only Jesus's wisdom, only his truth is satisfactory. We need to ask ourselves, are we relying on ourselves or on him? Are you relying on empty religiosity to make you right with God? Are you here simply agreeing with what Jesus said, but when you leave and you live life, you do it on your own terms? That's what God is cutting out of us. That's what he's removing, is he's cutting out all those selfish, self-centered, me-centered ideas and thoughts that cause us to rely not on a holy God, but on ourselves. Are you with me so far? I'm guilty of it, and so are you. This is how the word of God exposes us. It shows us that simply looking right on the outside is not enough. Relying on our own wisdom is not enough. Jesus says the wise person is the one who hears 
and does not what we think, but what he says. So it, here's what it does. These verses right here should strip away from us any idea that a surface righteousness is enough. That simply looking good from the ground up is all right. But that instead, God's word might deal with what lies underneath the surface. What are we truly basing our lives off of? Our wisdom or his? So the Bible cuts us, right? It starts to cut out those things in our heart that don't look like him. How, does this, how do these verses heal us? How do, how do these verses bring restoration to our hearts? How, how do we get some joy out of this? Well, because when God is cutting all that out and he's showing us how insufficient we are and how our wisdom is lacking and leads to death, as he's cutting that out, guess what he's also doing? Pointing us to the one who heals and restores those who are sick. Healing those who have been guilty of chasing after their own dreams and trying to be their own God. Guess what? These verses are pointing us to the fact that you're not without hope. You have hope today. You know why you have hope today? Because Jesus died for you. Knowing you didn't love him. Knowing you didn't care about him. Knowing how dirty your life was. Guess what? Jesus died so that you might be forgiven of your sin. All that selfishness, all that wanting to live for myself and be my own God, all that stuff, Jesus died for it. You know why? So that you might have a new heart that loves God supremely and can actually live a life that gives Jesus glory. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. And that's good news because this world looks sick. But there is restoration and healing, but it doesn't come from our own hands. It comes only from Jesus. And so these verses heal us because they point us to the only one who is truth. The only one who can rescue and deliver us. And here's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to true devotion to him. Not just lip service, but true devotion to Jesus. And that can only be done through a heart change by Christ. So here's how we get to the bottom of this. What fruit is evident in your life? When you look at your heart, and you, by the way, you might need other people to help you out with this. Because you and I can deceive ourselves into thinking, yeah, we look good. This looks great. Ask yourself this morning. Ask each other. What does your heart look like? What does the fruit look like? What you're producing in your life, is it, a, is it a fruit that says, yes, I love Jesus more than anything and I'll do whatever he says? Or is it, I say I love him, I say I'll do it, but then when I'm actually living life, I'm not looking for him anymore. I'm doing my own thing, my own wisdom. See, this is where Jesus is cutting us. He's trying to get us to see that you've got to be careful because simply looking right on the outside does not equate to actually loving Jesus and following him. And here's what he wants. He wants us to know we're wise. He wants us to know we're wise. If you love Jesus, you listen to what he says, and you do it. Not perfectly every time, but growing in that, when your heart is devoted to wanting to honor Jesus, when someone says, are you wise, you go, yup, I listen to what Jesus says, and I do it. And when someone says, do you listen to what Jesus says, uh-huh, do you do what he says, uh-huh, then all of a sudden, 
when someone asks, are you a fool? You may not have to do it in front of people, but you may have to do it in front of God. Is go, yep. So here's my petition to all of us this morning. Don't be a fool. Trust in Jesus. Believe that his death on the cross is all that can save you. He's paid for your sin. And if you trust in what he says and you do it, you show yourself to be wise. So this morning, you need to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He did die for you. And just so you know, he rose again from the grave in his life forevermore to help us to walk after him. You need that this morning. Not suck it up, do better, and try harder. What you need is Jesus today. And Christians in the room, so do we. You just need him again and again and again every single day as we try to live for him. And let's be honest, all of us in the room, we don't do this perfectly. We don't always act wisely. Sometimes we act like fools. So here's what we do. We go to God and say, hey, I've been acting like a fool. Forgive me and help me to live like a wise person. Help me to not only know what Jesus says, to agree with him. Help me to do what he says. Help me to live a life that is obedient to him above all. That even the good things I do would only be because he has changed my heart to love him this much. That he's worth all the obedience. He's worth all of our faithfulness. This morning, you need to come face to face with Jesus, and I'm going to give you a chance to do it. By the way, you can do it all the time, but specifically we're going to do it right now in the service. And we're going to do for the first time since uh, coronavirus, we're going to do an open response if you want to come forward. If you have questions about what it means to actually be this follower of Jesus, I'm happy to talk to you more and pray with you about that. If you have questions about what it means to live a life that honors him, what it means to truly be wise, I'm happy for you to come forward. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. Uh, if you have questions about baptism or joining the church or anything, this morning we're going to have a response time. We're going to play. Uh, Sharon's going to play for us, and, and I'm going to lead us in a time of responding to God, whether it's for the first time in trust in him or whether it's for the thousandth time of laying down your life before him and saying, Jesus, I need you. This morning, you need to respond to the truth that Jesus is the only way and you need to trust in him this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And God, I am grateful this morning for your grace and your mercy towards us. And Father, I pray that we would take the words that you've shown us here this morning, your truth, God, that we would take it and we wouldn't just hear it, but God, we would do it. God, not so that we can be saved, but because we've trusted in Jesus and because we want to love him and honor him in our lives. So Father, whether it's somebody here in this room who is relying on their own goodness or their own religiosity or in their agreement with you, God, help them to see that none of that suffices for rescue. God, help them see this morning that what they need is to turn away from sin, turn away from trying to be God themselves and trust in the only true wise king your son Jesus. And Father, for us in the room who are believers, Father, help us to repent of when we've acted foolishly, when we've claimed that we follow you and yet we live lives that don't model that. Father, help us to see that you are worth all the sacrifice. You're worth all the obedience. And Father, help us to do it better. Forgive us where we fail you. And God, help us to walk after you. Lord, I ask you to do all this this morning so that you might receive more praise from us. As your people respond, God, I pray you'll receive glory in this place. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.